Hi there, welcome to Active Intelligence. I'm Aaron Ironside. I hope you'll spend the next half an hour or so with me as we discuss social issues from a variety of perspectives. Your chance to hear about topics without being told what to think. And today's topic is a perfect example of that because in the current climate in which we live, if you have any questions about the COVID-19 vaccine, you're instantly dubbed an anti-vaxxer. And that's said, of course, as a bit of a put down that you should be believing what you're told to believe. So let's take a look at the issue from a variety of perspectives today and see if we can engage some active intelligence. On today's episode, I speak with Dr. John Ling from the UK. He takes a look at the vaccine from an expert point of view. In fact, he's actually had the COVID-19 vaccine, so we'll find out a little bit more about what that is like because he finds himself in the vulnerable group in the UK that were the first to receive the vaccine. Uh, but let's go to Europe where there is great conversation around the validity of the vaccine. Has it come too fast, too soon? Is it safe? Will it give you COVID-19? Dr. Heidi Larson reckons that many parents are right to have some questions. The majority of the public that is questioning, they're hesitant, they're anxious. These are people who have genuine questions, who are open to vaccination, but are feeling they're not getting their answers and then migrate more to the more anti-end that seem more acknowledging their concerns, endorsing their concerns. Do I worry about vaccinations? This one in particular? Yes, definitely. It's been rushed and imposed on us. And I, you know, I want to have my choice and I don't want to inject anything like this into my body and into my children's body. A lot of parents feel like they're being judged, called names for even asking questions. Um, and that's not at all been helpful in trying to support people in their decision-making uh, and positive sentiments towards a vaccine. It's really fundamentally about trust, relational trust. So lots of ordinary people are wondering who to trust and who to believe. And in fact, I think that might be the big theme of today's program, what's been dubbed the infodemic, that we now have this poverty, the sickness of wondering who it is we can trust. Do we listen to the doctors? Do we listen to the politicians? Do we listen to the conspiracy theorists online? Well, how about we listen to some real people who've had the COVID experience? In fact, how about someone who was part of the trial that has given us one of the vaccines that is now being used internationally to the US we go and Carson Clark well he was aware that his parents would be vulnerable to COVID-19 so he put his hand up to be vaccinated and said it really wasn't that bad. day that I got the shot uh, my arm got pretty sore and then the next day when I woke up I just had some kind of general fatigue. He says he wasn't alarmed by it because he was given this list of side effects to expect which include tiredness, chills, loss of appetite, muscle aches, and sweating. And it only lasted that one day, uh, and then it was gone the, the next day after that. It's your body's immune system trying to get activated because it's seeing this new thing, and that way that it gets activated uh, is the way you're feeling, which is uh, inflammation. So remember the virus is not in the vaccine. This vaccine is completely infection-free. 
Well, it seems for most people so far so good, but that's just most people and that's just so far so good, right? We don't really know what's going to happen in the long term. Could it be that things like cancer rates will go up in the future or we'll discover some hideous side effect that is yet to emerge? Is that even the way vaccines work? Is it a legitimate fear? That's certainly something that many people are wondering about and wanting to know. If you're my age, of course, you can remember things like thalidomide. But of course, the big difference being that that was a drug as opposed to a vaccine that doesn't have any live cells in it. Well, off to the UK we go. I caught up with Dr. John Ling and asked him how things were going in Britain. Okay. It's going rather well. If you look at numbers, we got 20 million, who a bit more now, I guess, 21 million probably uh, vaccinated out of a population of 60 million. So it's going well um, to plan. Uh, 15 million had to be vaccinated, 70 plus age group by the 15th of February. That's uh, target has passed. We got that. And now they're doing the under 70s. I only say because I'm in the over 70s. Um, they're doing the young uns now. Uh, so, yeah, it's going well. We've got, uh, well, we've centered on three particular vaccines. One isn't coming in until the Moderna's not coming in until April. So, we're looking at uh, using the Pfizer, BioNTech, and the Oxford AstraZeneca. Okay, well, you had the jab two weeks ago. Tell us about the experience. Wonderful. In the sense that I'm not, I'm not a great needle guy, <laughs> but the, uh, the nurse that did it, and she does all sorts of you know, flu and stuff for me, absolutely brilliant. Can't feel a thing. It's all over. Um, and I was okay. My wife felt a bit sore around the, uh, around the hole. Um, but got over that. Yeah, no problem. Let's take a look at some of the questions that people have. I mean, we know that there is one group out there called the anti-vaxxers, and they seem kind of ideologically opposed to all kinds of vaccinations. But I have a few friends who say, look, don't call me an anti-vaxxer. Don't write me off like that. I'm just concerned. I have questions. I can't help but think that this has all been rushed and that there's something wrong here and that maybe this vaccine shouldn't be trusted as a matter of course. Do they have the right to have those questions, John? Are they the right questions? So you're right. The anti-vaxxers, they're never going to have a vaccine, are they? Um, but I think there is a, a middle group, isn't there? And, of course, there are the um, the... Um, conspiracy theorists, they're probably never going to have a vaccine either. But I think there is a, a sort of a misinformed middle group that really aren't sure what's going on. Um, and they might well be convinced and might not be convinced. I don't know. But the numbers are going up. Uh, and I think the percentage is going up as well. And I think that's this, this middle group that haven't been quite sure what's going on. And of course, there's tons of stuff on the internet um, that tells you just a bunch of lies. I just, I, I, don't, I don't use it greatly. Oh, well, social media I don't use, but it's going around there, millions of hits on all sorts of conspiracy theorists, anti-vaxxers stuff. That really is just plain nonsense. Um, but there are, you know, a rational group within the middle that uh, need to think carefully about the issues. Um, and some 
Christians agree and some disagree. Um, I'm obviously, because I've had the needle, I'm a, a pro-vaccinator. Well, one of those issues is all about sort of the long-term effects of the vaccine. It's hard to know what the long-term effects are because this is not just a new vaccine, but a new type of vaccine. So we don't know as much about these kinds of vaccines. Is it true? In what sense is this a new vaccine? Yes, it is. If you're talking about the Pfizer vaccine, which you're using in New Zealand, as I understand things, it is. It's it's um, based on a messenger RNA uh, technology that's never been used before. But it's really quite simple and it's a fascinating thing. It's sort of uh, cutting edge science in that sense. The uh, vaccine that I had, for example, the old Oxford AstraZeneca is a kind of old fashioned um, vaccine protocol. But they, they both seem to work in terms of, uh, if you believe the, uh, the manufacturer's data, they're all up 18, 90% effective. But it is, you say, it, the Pfizer is, is a new technology. Right. Uh, I suppose it's the inability for us to know about long-term effects. Is there yeah. a concern for a vaccine that something might happen months from now? Of course. We don't know. We've got a new disease for a start. No one's had uh, coronavirus 19, COVID-19 before. So almost everything we know uh, or everything we don't know is a huge, huge amount. Um, And people ask me, well, what about this? What about that? I say, well, we haven't got the data yet. We've only been testing it for two, three, four months, certainly less than a year. Whereas other, like measles vaccine, you know, we've got decades of uh, knowledge and facts and figures. So it is new. Um, But I like the new as well. Well, does new mean rushed? It is incredible to think that this vaccine has appeared so quickly. Although, of course, I'm mindful of the fact that the category of coronavirus was discovered some 40 years ago that SARS is a coronavirus. So it's not as if the medical community have not been experimenting with vaccines for coronavirus. But has this been rushed? Are we uh, doing this too quickly? No, I don't think so. It's It usually takes 10 years to produce a vaccine, right? Um, and then it takes 30 years to get it around the world. That's old style. But this technology, this cutting edge, seriously cutting edge technology has taken just a year to get here. And it's been through all the phase one, phase two, phase three categories, testing, trials. You know, phase one is done in animals to make sure it's okay and there's no uh, serious side effects. Uh, Phase two, then you get uh, maybe a thousand people, something like that. And then phase three is tens of thousands, maybe 20,000, something like that. And there have been a few adverse effects, but nothing, well, one or two serious ones, but you know, out of 20, 30,000, um, it's, it's pretty safe. I know people are skeptical that we've gone way too fast, but you've got a disease that's spreading around the world at such a rate that something had to be done, or we should be glad that it has been done fast and that we've now got a rollout of uh, vaccines around the world, or particularly the rich, developed bit of the world. 
I've heard friends say that they're concerned that there's been some kind of political pressure to grant approval for these vaccines too quickly. That seems hard for me to believe. I would imagine that if there really had been that kind of political pressure put on the organizations who give the grants and approve of vaccines, that somebody would have come forward. There usually is a whistleblower in those kinds of situations, because after all, these groups exist for that very purpose, to ensure that whether it be political pressure or financial pressure, that things like vaccines aren't approved until they are ready. Yes, unless you're a conspiracy theorist, <laughs> which, uh, you know, it does happen. Um, Bill Gates has had his mucky fingers in some of this, we're told, but uh, <laughs> I think that's... Uh, bit far-fetched. Um, I thought the medical profession would have stood on its own two feet. And after all, we've got millions of people who've now had it, okay, for a short time. But I say the side effects have been pretty minimal of any vaccine. It doesn't bother me that that's happened. I think this is advanced science. You know, the technology that has produced these vaccines is really quite amazing. I mean, to use the... Uh, messenger RNA has never really been thought of before. And so it, it's come on stream extremely fast and uh, gives us great hope that, uh, you know, this disease well, it will never disappear, but at least it can be contained. One of the big ethical concerns is around the fact that back in the dim dark ages of the beginnings of vaccines was the use of cells from aborted fetuses. I can certainly appreciate that people feel very uncomfortable about the idea that maybe they are participating in the abortion industry at all through taking vaccines. What is the relationship between aborted fetuses and the vaccine for COVID-19? Yeah, I, that's uh, a, a problem for, for, I'm going to say many, a few, let's say, if we're thinking uh, globally. Um, it's the problem with what is known as uh, HEK-293, um, which was developed from, it's a, cells were taken from aborted, an aborted fetus in uh, Holland in the 1970s, the early 1970s. HEK stands for human uh, embryonic kidney, and that's where the cells came from. The 293 is the number of the experiments that these guys were doing in uh, Leiden University. Um, and that is, um, they're immortalized epithelial cells, and they've been used for many, many years to produce vaccines and lots of other biological medicines. And there is then that looking back to where this, this cell line came from, and is that a good thing? If you're pro-life, if you're anti-abortion, then obviously there are some tensions there, as there rightly should be. But how are we going to handle those tensions? Um, you can always say no to the vaccine. Um, but I think the way I look at it is this, that it was a long time ago. That doesn't entirely absolve us from looking at it. But I think if you look then at what is needed and what you're doing by, if you're going to use a vaccine that's uh, used HEK293, you're saying, well, are there any more abortions that are needed for this? And the answer is no, because this cell line has been going for 30, 40 years and more. Um, is it 
an important, genuine need. And I think you could say yes to that because COVID is a nasty disease. It's killed two and a half million people around the world already, and it hasn't finished by any means. So I think those two facts together make it possible for pro-life people to say, okay, it's not going to produce any more abortions. Abortion is horrible, but it's it's not going to increase those millions that are carried out. And it is an important issue for not just a few, but for millions of people, the whole globe, you know, all seven billion of us or whatever. Um, and that's my reasoning, and that's why I've come to say, well, it is okay. But I think there are some other conditions as well, because it's um, involved with the abortion issue way back. I think people like me have to say, I understand that, but I am against abortion, and I'm going to do something about it. Maybe join an organization, maybe pay some money to an organization, make it clear publicly when challenged that you are against this, but this particular use of uh, producing these vaccines is acceptable. It would be nice if there was another way of producing a clean, let's call it a clean vaccine, but it isn't gonna happen. No big farmer has got that on their agenda. It may happen down the road in a sense that uh, different types of technology will produce different types of vaccines. I mean, there are, there are something like 300 COVID vaccines in, in the mix at the moment. About 10 of them are being used and about 70 are being tested. So, you know, we're talking in February, March 2021. By the end of the year, there are going to be a lot more vaccines out there. The great question is about effectiveness, and that is that the goal of vaccination is this thing called herd immunity. We hear a lot about that phrase. I'm not sure we understand exactly what it means. Could you explain it for us? It means that there, there's going to be enough people who are vaccinated that you they won't be passing it on seriously. The, the R value, you know, this idea of replication value, when it's one, it's um, you're passing it on very little. If it's more than one, you're passing it on quite a lot. If R is less than one, then the chances of you being a spreader and certainly a super spreader are very, very low. So once you get herd immunity, you'll get um, a lot of people who've been vaccinated and therefore hopefully won't get the disease. They may be carriers, but um, and they may be passers on, but there's gonna be less and less because when people get, um, if, if they're passed on and they get COVID-19, they're not going to come round again, in a sense. You can actually get it twice, but uh, you're less likely to because you've produced antibodies naturally. You haven't had a vaccine. You've had the disease and both produce the, the, uh, the antibodies, which is the purpose of the vaccine. One of the things we hear a lot about is the fact that the vaccine keeps mutating, that there are different variations of the COVID-19 virus. In fact, when we have a community outbreak in this country, the first question is, which brand of COVID-19 is it? I mean, is it possible that the virus will keep mutating faster than the vaccines can keep up with? Well, the, the virus is going to mutate. There's, uh, there's no doubt about that. 
whether it does so um, importantly in terms of medicine is another question. It's probably there are probably thousands of mutations out there already, and there are three or four that are serious at the moment and are taxing the medics. Um, the answer is, like I said earlier on, we don't know. We don't have the data. There are um, the big three, I call them, uh, Moderna, the Oxford and the Pfizer, are now beginning to do experiments, uh, trials, clinical trials, to see if their vaccines really do hit the variants. It seems initially that they do. We've got this uh, ghastly one in, uh, that we produced in England, the UK, sometimes called the Kent uh, uh, mutant uh, variant. That seems to be hit fairly hard by the two uh, vaccines we're talking about. The South African one is more tricky and the Brazilian one really isn't known much about at the moment. And then there are, there's one in Los Angeles that we went to Japan and so on. They're out there, but whether they have any lasting effect or whether they mutate or if they are harmful at the moment and they mutate again to something more harmless, I don't know and nobody does yet. Well, for many of us now, of course, the question is once we have herd immunity, does that mean the borders open up again? Does that mean we're finally going to be able to visit friends and family? And will you have to have uh, a vaccine certificate? Right. Qantas have said they're going to this year. Uh, if you go on their plane, you've got to have a, a proof that you've had the vaccine. I don't know which one. I don't know whether it's the, just the one or both vaccine, you know, because they're three weeks, three months apart. Do you have to have the primer and the booster? I don't know. But we're moving into a different world now. And even the UK is moving there. It, we've be, always been against any kind of identity uh, certificates. Um but now the government is certainly beginning to change its mind because they realise that there are there's more to this than just uh, letting the system run. You know, can I can I go to a football match without a certificate? Can I be in a crowd in, in that sense without having proof that I've had um, the vaccine? Can I uh, go shopping? Can I go to school? I think the implications are enormous. We're only just beginning to think about that sort of. Uh, lead on into, into how how what is normality going to look like at the end of 2021. Yes, the COVID passport, the vaccine passport, you can be sure that's coming soon. To be honest, I mean, I've travelled to places like India where you needed to be vaccinated before you could go there. So really, perhaps it's not that different from things that we've already experienced. But somehow the idea that being told that we can't travel if we don't have the vaccine does feel like it's being imposed. And it does seem to make a mockery of choice at one point, doesn't it? On the one hand, it's like nobody's going to make you get the vaccine. But on the other, nobody's going to make an employer let you sign that new employment agreement if you haven't had the vaccine. Nobody's going to let you visit their country if you haven't got the vaccine passport. So I'm not sure how good your freedom is, how useful it is, if when it pushes up against reality, it may seem that those who do not get the vaccine will be marginalised. Of course, in a kind of geopolitical sense too, we will live in the world of the haves and the have-nots. The rich countries will be the first to get the vaccines. The poor countries will have to to wait their turn as if they don't do it tough enough already. 
But what of this infodemic question? I think that's the one that we really need to explore today. Each of us needs to ask this question. Why do I trust the voices that I trust? And why do I no longer trust voices that traditionally were the ones that we would look for for information? I mean, I kind of understand not trusting politicians. They've earned that reputation. They've said far too many half-truths and outright lies over the years to expect the population to trust them anymore. I get that. But medical professionals, doctors, researchers, suddenly we're not convinced about even them. And that's okay, so we don't trust them. But I'm even more perplexed as to why we would favour people who have less credentials less experience and somehow deem them to be more of an expert than the public health officials are. I find this kind of odd. I don't know, maybe I'm being naive, but I want to believe that in a Western democracy like ours here in New Zealand, that there are in fact enough checks and balances in place to make sure that things like political pressure, because we know the vaccine's an important uh, political thing, isn't it, for uh, the government to be able to say, we've done it, we've stamped out COVID, well, good for you. We know there's economic pressure, because there's lots of money to be made by rolling out a vaccine around the world. I'd like to think that the political pressure and the economic pressure can't force our health system to roll out a vaccine they're not convinced about. I'd like to think, and maybe I'm being naive, I hope I'm not. In in time, I suppose we will find out. Uh, But I think that we should perhaps remember that these institutions like the Department of Health, they've been trustworthy for a long time. And perhaps we have short memories. Perhaps there are not enough of us who are old enough to remember things like polio to remember just how important a vaccine can be. Maybe we've just had it so good for so long that uh, we no longer think of these things as being important. I want us to think very carefully about this issue. I understand the concerns people have. I understand the ethical questions that people uh, have over this topic as well. And I suppose I'm reminded of a rather sort of glib uh, quote, glib because it comes from a Star Trek film, that it was Spock who famously once said that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. In reality, the general population, and particularly our elderly and our vulnerable, are relying on the rest of the population to take the vaccine so that we can have this herd immunity. I've no doubt that there are some good questions that need to be answered and continued to be asked. But in the meantime, I think for the sake of the many, I, for one, will probably have to side on the side of taking the vaccine and encouraging others to take it. Because in the scales in the end, it would seem that that is the chance, that is the decision that will bring about the most good for the most number of people. I'd love to hear your thoughts about this. You're welcome to disagree. Get in touch. Activeintelligence.nz on the website. And we'll see you next time.